Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. I'm Sanderson Jones here and I'm your host for the next 40 minutes as we explore questions of secular spirituality, what does it mean to reimagine religion and look at the big questions from a scientific point of view. And we've got an amazing guest today. His name is Jules Evans. He is a philosopher I really admire and we're going to look at this idea of conspirituality, where spirituality meets conspiracy theory and... One thing's led to another, so it means I'm mixing the intro and uh, that means that I can have the music as loud as I want at dramatic moments, like right now. That's it. Uh, So, uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, some of the audio in the interview with Jules was... uh, a little bit mangled so this is a part one of the conversation with Jules uh, and I you know there's already a lot in there Jules goes and reflects on his own spiritual journey how he is uh, answering uh, those fundamental needs for connection how he uh, looks for community and how he sometimes walks away from it and uh yeah, uh, we start to look into the uh, conspirituality, but there's so much more in part two, which will be coming soon when we fix the audio. So without further ado, here is the amazing Jules Evans. I really hope you appreciate this conversation. Jules is looking very concerned. Hello, welcome to the Life on This Podcast. Uh, we've just started to do this new thing where before we interview the guests, we just do a bit of a sing-song. Uh, and uh, we sang Fleetwood Mac uh, everywhere. And James, how's it going, James? It's going great. Thank you. It's good to be here as always. Hello, Jules. Hello, Sanderson. Uh, just revealed that he had never heard Fleetwood Macs everywhere. Jules, how'd you take that? Envy. You know, oh, like, really? Imagine, like, well, no, no, I love Fleetwood Mac, but he just got to listen to that song for the first time. And that's 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 in my top hundred, maybe. I think that's if when you look at the kind of most listened to songs of the year, like that song is always in it. I just after you get past 30, that's always the same every year. You're your most listened to songs. And that's definitely one of mine. The, uh, it's like when you discover, uh, you meet someone, you discover they've never read any P.G. Woodhouse. You're like, oh my gosh, that is a delight that you, to unwrap. Uh, so Jules, uh, lovely to have you here. We can't wait to dig in because uh, you are uh, an expert in the area of conspirituality. And uh, we've we're, suddenly everyone's got, there's Q shamans running around the capital. Uh, there's conspiracies everywhere, and we're going to get to that. But first, we're going to ask you the question we ask all our guests is, uh, what was the spiritual, religious, or philosophical background to your childhood? <laughs> um, I, um, I went to, I mean, I grew, I grew up, I guess my dad is C of E. My dad is Church of England. Uh, my mum came out as an atheist eventually. Um, I was sent to a school where we um, were, had to go to church, uh, I think every day, but I wasn't into that. I refused to get confirmed. I said I was a Buddhist at 13, and then I was in charge of something called Alternative Assembly, which was basically the uh, the Sunday assembly of my school. 
Uh, it was for non-believers. Um, but I, basically, as a teenager, I, I was, I guess I was like a um, proto-hippie. So I was into things like, you know, Buddhism and Taoism and Aldous Huxley and psychedelics. So I was always naturally drawn to that kind of spiritual but not religious culture. Great, thanks so much for that. And then we have, so the what James and I are doing at the Life on this uh, project and this podcast grew out of us writing a book together is comes from the work which is actually inspired at the Sunday Assembly of looking at congregations and understanding how can you go and learn from them. And so there's six pillars of Life on this, which come from adapting a very well-known uh, congregational building manual. And so we always ask our, these are very big questions and we ask, try to answer, get you to answer them in a very short amount of time. So what for you, Jules, is your ultimate meaning, divine? What's the thing which is most important to you? Well, those are different questions. What, 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 what is ultimate meaning? What is divine? And what is most important to me? Well, I think that well, it's so hard because I, I think there's some, there's some <laughs> secular people who go and know what the divine is. There's some, you, oh, right, right, you right. want to leave space okay. for someone who's non-religious. I'll give a rough answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rough answer is, um, I guess the, the philosophy I most identify with is Buddhism. So I am a hopeful agnostic. I, I basically don't really know what the ultimate is. I'm sure it's beyond us. I think it's kind of beyond human capacity to totally understand. But I think there are wise teachings that have been passed down to us, which can help us and heal us in the early steps of these paths. And maybe if we follow these paths longer, they can reveal to us kind of deeper truths. So that's kind of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? That does make sense. You nailed <laughs> okay. the big question, short answer format. And uh, our translation of worship is uh, contemplation and celebration. Where do you uh, find that in your life? I used to meditate regularly. Um, uh, every morning I would do like 20 minutes or so of mindfulness of breath and loving kindness meditation. Uh, I found myself not doing that recently, I guess partly because I'm traveling and I've, I've become a bit sick of like spiritual work and just that phrase um but um but i get it also in sports um i get it reading so that is my happy space and i get it playing tennis uh that's where i kind of get uh, a, a reprieve from my over analytical mind i get celebration um why am i why am i finding that harder to answer <laughs> um i mean i get that through i get that through <laughs> hanging out with friends dancing with friends i was in a band for, for decades i haven't played music in a while but i used to play the drums I actually played for the drums for the sunday assembly uh sunday assembly band briefly um god i'm struggling to answer you know you, you know, know. It's, maybe it's a short it's, it's okay it can be short you, you, yeah put a full stop where is it's a hard question for the last 18 months where do you find celebration yeah, yeah. it really is difficult isn't it where do you Ooh. celebrate your values as a group Nowhere. <laughs> well, that's going to make this next one particularly difficult. So the next one is community mm. life. So who are your people? Mm. Where do you find your community? Mm, I mean, I I guess I've looked for it for many years. I was a Stoic. I wrote a book about Stoicism, and I wrote a book looking at people who followed Greek philosophy, communities that formed of that. I did the first Stoic gathering for two millennia. There were only like 14 of us. Uh, this was back in 2010. And we, we had a schism, uh, even in that tiny <laughs> first gathering. Well done. Been theist and atheist Stoics, and they kind of ended up hating each other by the end of three days. 
so that so I first of all tried to find stoic community I, I've looked in academia that I wish I just left so I didn't really fit in there um I um so I've you know I've I've, I've come to the conclusion that I don't I'm, I'm just a kind of awkward individualist uh and that's just how it is <laughs> you know but but I ran a philosophy club as well like the biggest philosophy club in the world so so that was basically a club for awkward individualists um, I suppose I feel naturally at home in spiritual but not religious land. I, I you know, like I tried to, I was a Christian for, for, for a year and a half and I didn't feel at home there. But uh, among spiritual but not religious people, I feel more or less at home. But as soon as I say this is my home, I start like attacking it. And that's what I've been doing over the last 12 months <laughs> is, is basically exposing freaky ideas in spiritual but not religious culture. So I have all kinds of issues with community. What a lovely trait to have in a house guest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Make yourself uh, at home. Oh. Yeah. Now uh, you're throwing plates. Uh, and then, yeah, the next one is uh, personal growth and sort of like uh, being on a pathway to psychological maturity. Where do you find that? What, where are you growing at the moment? What's your, uh, what, what path are you on? I did a talk at Sunday Assembly, I think, about stoicism. So, you know, when you're messed up, personal growth is more obvious. So I was quite messed up in my early 20s. I had, you know, a good spurt of personal growth then, like things like stoicism really helped me when I had bad anxiety. Um, these days, um, I, I don't know, it's quite personal, isn't it? But <laughs> like, I mean, that's what, we, that's what we ask. I mean, we, we let it all hang out or don't. This is not a share or die event. I came to, I moved to Bristol from London um, a year and a half ago, and that was to look for community. That was where I was looking for personal growth. I wanted to live somewhere smaller, friendlier, where people were easier to just kind of, you know, to put down roots, right? So this is my plan, put down roots. And then what happened in November, completely unexpectedly, I, I, I bought a ticket to Costa Rica just before the lockdown, intending to come for three weeks, but then I've just, I've been here ever since. Um, so completely opposite to my conscious plan, which was to put down roots in Bristol. And now I think I, I might stay here for a while. Um, and it's just, it's kind of lovely. It's and it's, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I would say like, I feel very in my body here. Uh, and that's a nice feeling for a very rationalist analytical person. Um, it is a very, it's a, it's a sunny kind of Caribbean type of country. So that affects everything, but it very much affects you feeling in your body. And you know that, that lockdown in the UK has been hard, hasn't it? I mean, I wrote a piece earlier this year called Skin Hunger, just as a kind of single person doing lockdown, you felt quite dissociated from your body. So I feel like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm living like that at the moment. Like, so I don't know if that's a path of personal growth, but like, you know, sunshine and, and that kind of stuff. Holiday. That's my path great yeah holidays yeah <laughs> uh, I, I don't feel proud of it I'm one of those scumbag wellness influencers who goes to Bali and then makes kind of you know Instagram posts about about you know bliss from 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 their beach cabin at least in this case your extended stay in Costa Rica was not by your own design so you can genuinely say yeah I didn't yeah, mean to yeah. be here no I I, I, I I was gonna buy I was trying to buy a place in Bristol and it fell through. It fell through the day after I, I, booked, I booked the ticket to Costa Rica. So now, now I'm now and my flight was cancelled as well. So I can't actually come home. Yeah, if you can't get back, they won't let you. 
I mean, I wish I could. I honestly, I really do. Guys, uh, we're going to be doing a Patreon just to go and raise money for Jules to get back from his his uh, tropical paradise. Uh, James, you next. So the next one, the fifth pillar of lifefulness is serving others. So how do you think about serving other people? Well, that is a good question, James. I mean, I, um, I don't think it's necessarily the strongest part of the spiritual but not religious community. There's a lot of personal growth in there. There's not necessarily always the kind of focus on serving others I, you know it's been a while since I worked in a soup kitchen I did when I when I lived in London but um, I suppose what I do is I um, I write a lot and I give a lot of talks which are about trying to you know from from mental health and dealing with anxiety all the way to like how to flourish how to how to you know try to be fulfilled um, and I suppose like the vast majority of that I put out for free in things like a newsletter or YouTube videos. So for me, the balance is doing that because you're doing it out of service, balancing that with needing to get paid as well, like as a, as a, as a creative person or a communicator in the digital age, it's very easy not to get paid. Um, so you, you need to be able to get paid and you need to be able to say yes I'll do this but no I'm not going to do this unless I'm getting paid uh, so um, so yeah I find that's the balance between giving away stuff for free and then actually making enough money to kind of you know support a family and stuff like that and you Thank can you. subscribe to Jules's OnlyFans uh, that is uh, also in the link. Uh, and then the last Ooh. one is Changing the World, now, Sanderson. which is our translation of uh, evangelism. And so, yeah, what's your connection to sort of, you know, like mission and uh, trying to, you know, make the world as it should be? Um, I had a very strong sense of mission, um, let's say 10 years ago. I very much wanted to bring kind of stoicism to the people uh, and uh, give people, equip people with like wisdom skills to improve their mental health. And I'm very into that, I guess I, I still am. I'm very into adult education. Adult education used to be like a sexy topic in like the sixties, you know, cool, cool writers would go and volunteer for the Workers' Education Association. It was a sexy topic at the end of the 19th century. You had like Russian intellectuals, they're called Narodniki and they go off to try and like teach the peasants like, you know, <laughs> Leninism or something. But, um, and, and yeah, and like I come from a Quaker family and they, you know, in Quaker culture, adult education is massive. My ancestors would, would volunteer every Sunday to, to kind of teach in Sunday school. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm very into that uh, and, and, and communicating and I, I guess my, I believe that there's wisdom that can really improve people's lives. And I believe that you can teach it to anyone. Uh, so those are my kinds of, you know, I suppose that's the basis of my creed as it were. Like I, I put me in front of any audience and I can explain to them the basics of stoicism uh, and, and, and in a way that will be helpful to them, you know, in their, in their, in their, in their week or whatever. Um, so, so I suppose that, and then, I guess I also then then I I also had this thing about wanting to try and open British culture, my culture, up to transcendence more. I felt the British culture was very imminent, secular, and wary of like the ecstatic. Um, and we we've, we've talked about this before. And 
So I wrote a, my second book was about how people find the ecstatic and why we shouldn't be afraid of ecstatic experiences, why they could be good for us. But I don't know. Now I'm 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 uh, I, I'm a bit wary when people say uh, I'm on a mission and this will save the world, because I, I I think that makes them you know like I work I I've been doing some work with a psychedelic retreat center. Uh, and 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 one of the founders said, you know, I'm on a, I'm, I think psychedelics can save the world. And I think the risk of that is that that if you really buy into that, then you you can get a bit blind to the negative externalities of your project because you're so. Did they say that while they were taking psychedelics? Just, no. just wondering. Oh, okay, I so know. that They're... was a, a totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of people think that in the world of psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty standard belief. Well, I mean, and, it is that classic yeah. thing of when people take their first E of like, if everyone in the world <laughs> took an E at the same time, we all be owed. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would, there'd probably still be an argument at the end. About three days yeah. later, it would be very <laughs> sad. Uh, the Hey, man, thanks so much for asking those big questions in a short amount of time. I think that should be our name for the segment. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> The and and this like it was we had you booked in for a while and then what should happen? But there's this attack on the capital which is just mind-boggling and you know it was and there's this shaman there in this horned hat and uh, and I think it was you who went and sort of first like public or at the start like let people know that he was actually he was a shaman. And what you've been looking at is like the combination of conspiracy thinking and spirituality. And in this age where I know that like, I'm like, I really don't know what to do about the conspiracy mindedness. And, and also a huge fan of looking at spiritual practices and trying to get the best of them. It's the perfect moment to speak to you. And well, maybe even before we get into that, like, what did you, what were you thinking when you like saw that chaos like how did how did you feel i was i i guess i was doom scrolling i was just do, doom scrolling on my phone uh, I, I felt a bit the same when i saw the kind of violent standoffs between like protesters and the very like militarized police um like in when it was in august and i just i felt very like viscerally somatically shaken up um because it looked like um look if that happened in in another country you'd say this looks like civil war um and um and it, it it's very i found it you know it's it's very concerning and destabilizing because i do think uh, american democracy is so important for like democracy i mean like the, you know, the american and the french and the british democracies we were the you know three kind of founders of modern democracy um, so when 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 it kind of goes so off the rails, um, it's it's really worrying. And I was watching it, thinking, someone, you know, who, how many people are going to die in this? Uh, and sure, you know, five five people did uh, die in it. Um, so that was the first thing. Was just feeling very shook up watching it. And then um, yeah, and then someone said that oh, you know, that the, the you know the the photos of uh, from within the capital. Of these freaky-looking figures, um, and and someone and someone said, "Oh, that guy with the Viking hat uh, and the face paint 
he's he's called the QAnon shaman. Uh, and I, I, as you said, I've been writing about kind of conspiracy culture and the overlap of conspiracy culture with new age spirituality, which was dubbed 10 years ago uh, in, a, in a paper by two anthropologists, conspirituality. So it's conspiracy theory and spirituality. By the way, great, I, well done then. They must have had that real feeling when they did that. They're yeah, like, very I think satisfying. We've named, think we've <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. Take the afternoon off. <laughs> And I started, I wrote about that in April because I saw leading figures in uh, British spiritual circles sharing quite off the wall stuff that, that the COVID was a hoax, uh, that it was all part of an evil plot to implant us with microchips, uh, this kind of thing. And I was like, why is this particularly happening in spiritual circles? Uh, and I just found that paper on conspirituality. So I, I wrote about that in April. Um, and then I guess over the year, what we saw is it getting not, not, not just anti-vaccine stuff, that, that can be negative enough. And not just like, oh, COVID is a hoax stuff, though of course that is murderous enough. I mean, not, you know, that is fatal, fatal enough. Um, but, but also we wellness influences on Instagram, yoga mums, this kind of stuff, getting into the QAnon conspiracy, which is this um, weird conspiracy that there is this deep state mole called Q uh, who's releasing info about how totally corrupt uh, the organs of power are, how they're all basically, uh, it kind of, it, 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 it's it fused with the Pizzagate conspiracy so that, you know, senior Democrats and senior Hollywood figures are actually satanic pedos who harvest a substance called adrenochrome from abused children to get high. Uh, but it don't worry. It's young as well, isn't it? Yeah. Like, that's yeah, why yeah. in Hollywood, like who's looked at like pictures of people in Hollywood and go, oh yeah, Brad Pitt's looking yeah. good. Satanic yeah, yeah, pedo. yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's also like an apocalyptic rapture cult because there's the belief that any day now mm. um, a, a storm is going to, a, a storm is coming uh, and there's going to be this awakening. And basically Trump, who's a, a five-dimensional genius playing five-dimensional chess. So every, everything that he does and says is genius, including when he like tweeted Kofefe. That was a brilliant yeah, coded yeah, signal. Yeah. Um, so he's going to haul them all uh, to military tribunals and then either like hang them or, 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 or at least imprison them forever. And then there'll be an age of love. Um, so it's, it's basically all kind of medieval Christian apocalyptic theory. Um, it's and, and, insane. The first time I heard about it, yeah. you, just, you just think, what on earth is this? Yeah. How can a yeah. human rationally think this? At all? Well, I mean, they can't. Y yeah, I mean, look, let me put it this way, um, apocalyptic theories of the coming rapture mm. are common in yeah, all kinds yeah, of yeah. forms. It's a script that the human mind loves. Mm. And you find it in Silicon Valley with the idea of the singularity. You found it in Marxism with the idea that, that, oh yes, there's gonna be a violent revolution, but then the state will wither away and we'll all just be happy and polyamorous. Um, so there's many models of that story. Why do we love like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Dune? This stuff is catnip for us because we just love these fancy epics. And what Q did is apply 
kind of great mythical storyline to reality and give and give its followers a role in it because the clues were always cryptic. So it's say these cryptic, they were called Q crumbs and the followers were known as bakers because they go and bake the crumbs. They go and, you know, and as you know, like the best story is a little bit cryptic, like say a Stanley Kubrick movie. So the, the audience gets really sucked in. Oh, let's figure it out, you know. So, so it was like world building. It was co-creating fan fiction kind of stuff. So it was very cleverly done. And if you're at home, bored, uh, resentful, depressed, lonely, what a great fan fiction world thing to, to buy into. Um, and it attracted, like, you know, I saw, I, I, I dived, you know, I, I was like, wow, there's this guy, the Q Shaman. That's, you know, that seems to be exactly what I've been writing about. So I woke up and, and basically looked for his Facebook page and his YouTube page. And I kind of did lots of screen grabs of, of posts, which I thought were interesting and revealing about his mindset and why he'd be very vulnerable to a conspiracy theory. And got all this stuff and wrote a piece about it. And then his Facebook page got taken down, his YouTube page got taken down. So I, I kind of just got in there before it, it got taken down. But it was very interesting. I mean, like, so he's a, he's a failed voice actor from um, Arizona. He's called Jake Angeli, though his real name is Jacob Chansley. He was a, um, he was in the Navy. Then he left that, got into psychedelics, became a self-initiated shaman. Was very into psychedelic ceremonies for mental health, like, like a lot of, you know, liberal hippies. Um, but, uh, you know, he, there's just aspects of his personality. You could see why he'd be prone to a conspiracy theory. Like uh, he had a very difficult childhood. His dad gave him drugs when he was 11. So he was, he was, seems to be subject to kind of childhood trauma, uh, which makes you prone to dissociation and trance states. He's a bit of a narcissist. He seems to think he's, uh, you know, he, he described himself as a psychic super soldier. He also, he runs something called Starseed Academy. So he thinks he's a starseed, like a being from another planet. Um, and he, he's prone to kind of patternicity. He has a lot of Facebook posts where he sees patterns in clouds. And that's a classic thing of, of, of uh, you know, look, if you want to pathologize it, you could call it like schizotypal personality, which is like you're subject to like mythical thinking, magical thinking, seeing patterns and hidden meanings in things. So these kinds of things make him prone to conspiracy thinking. And it's so fascinating reading your post about this, that it's this combination of things that people might not necessarily immediately think go easily together, like reading the description that he gives of himself that you... And that is what you call a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, that is where we got to. And we are going to either go and be able to rescue the audio or else uh, go and record it again because Jules is great. Uh, at the uh, end of every podcast, uh, anyone who has listened before will know that this is a time just to go and sort of reflect where the Lifefulness Project is. Uh, because the podcast, the Lifefulness Podcast, comes from the Lifefulness Project. And um, yeah, the Lifefulness Project is, um, one way of thinking of it, is a sort of secular online church. And as I said last time, that's something I'm sort of, you know, becoming uh, sort of more comfortable saying, because, uh, 
yeah, sort of gone and built up. And just today, I just uh, got off the first session of Lifefulness 101, which is this course that uh, we put together. And uh, it is... It was just great. We had people from all over the world. There was someone there from San Francisco, um, then someone from Australia, but then also some people there from Saudi Arabia and all talking about these, you know, the big questions in life and like opening up about things big and small. And uh, yeah, it was uh, wonderful. Uh, There's since starting Sunday Assembly and starting down this whole new, I mean, utterly bonkers world of trying to reimagine congregation, uh, sort of stumbling into my vocation. uh, It, yeah, it just felt like uh, this new chapter and it felt really satisfying. And yeah, it's just wonderful to go and hear people connecting over this thing, which is so simple, just loving life. And isn't it weird how, like, loving life, I'm loving life. It's the single greatest fact that that is in your entire life that you are an alive person. And yet we'll go, oh, I'm loving life, what have you. Is it like, how have we made that a cliche? How have we made it something that we don't feel, that was something we're embarrassed to say, but we just had a load of people who are just connecting to that and using you know this simple fact as uh something to like go and give us fuel and something to uh go and inspire us to live the lives we wanted to lead and the last exercise we did was a uh it was a letter from uh your deathbed a thank you letter from your deathbed and Uh, People were meant to imagine that they were sort of dying and they had a uh, they had to write themselves a letter right now to thank themselves for all the work that they'd done getting up to that point, to thank them for how they got through last year and to thank them for living life in a way which sort of made them grateful as they lay dying. And. Yeah, it was just uh, so satisfying to go and hear all these great stories. And uh, and I'm 40 tomorrow. So, you know, closer to that uh, deathbed now than I was at the start of my life. Uh, and yeah, it's just nice to think that this is the thing that I want to be doing. Uh, it's the thing that like is the most satisfying that I can do and uh, though there's lots of struggles that I have with a whole manner of different things that there's that comfort which comes from finding the right work Uh, even though sometimes it means that like the day before your birthday you've got to hack around on garage band and try to work out all sorts of different things so uh, yeah Uh, Look out for number two with Jules Evans coming soon. Thanks so much for 
uh, listening. I want to thank James Croft, who was on the interview, but also on the call with me facilitating that uh, Lifefulness 101. I want to thank Mavshan Shetty, who is the producer, who, uh, you know, did a great job with uh, what limited uh, offerings we gave him. And then Will Andrews for the artwork and Roman Rapak for the music that you're hearing right now. But you're probably hearing it in a way which is worse than when Mavs does it himself. Thanks so much to you all for listening. And uh, yeah, can't wait to keep on doing this podcast for you for many, many years to come.